It's from Isaiah 35. So Isaiah 35. And Isaiah 35 comes at a tumultuous time in the life of Israel, right before there's an Assyrian invasion and everything is going to change. What does God do? But he assures, guarantees his people. And it is part of God's mercy and grace that he does this, gives him this assurance. And this is our assurance. If your life is found in Christ, if you've placed your faith in him, there are assurances in this life with Christ. So let's look together. I'm going to read Isaiah 35, verses 1 through 10, the whole chapter. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy for waters. Break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool, and the thirsty ground springs of water. In the haunt of jackals where they lie down, the grass shall become reeds and rushes, and a highway shall be there, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way, even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come up on it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads they shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord, would the assurance of this passage be ours this morning? Work in and through your truth and your word that we might indeed thrive and flourish in times like this, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Sometimes we are cynical about guarantees and assurances. And if you enter into Google, I had too much unsupervised time as a kid, by the way. If you enter into Google, guarantee it guy, guarantee it guy, guess who pops up? George Zimmer. George Zimmer, he was the CEO of Men's Warehouse. It was a company founded in Houston. Do you remember this guy? I guarantee it. Every commercial Men's Warehouse had while he was CEO, every commercial ended with him saying, I guarantee it. I guarantee it. Those are good words. And Indeed, if you are a consumer, it's wonderful to have this assurance that somebody is guaranteeing someone who has not stood in the Costco return line 
and judge to other people because they have a liberal return policy. Yes, I'm returning this half-eaten muffin. I didn't like the taste of it. I'm not judging you if that's you. But we have all, as a consumer, what happens is if they have some kind of liberal return policy at the store, yes, I ran a marathon in those shoes, but they didn't quite fit, so I'm returning them. Something like that, it gives you confidence, doesn't it? It gives you confidence. And this morning, what we have here in Isaiah 35 is absolutely supernatural truth laid out before us right before this unknown time in the life of Israel when Assyria would come and invade. And what God is doing is he's assuring his people, I've got this. I've got this. This is how you can move forward in uncertain times. We can tie our life to the assurances and the promises that our God gives us, and this is the answer to our worry, to our anxiety. And we need that kind of assurance. God's people needed it then. I mean, we're talking 800 B.C. God's people need it now. We need these assurances. We need this guarantee that we could flourish and blossom as God's people no matter where we are at and what's happening in our life. So how do we get this assurance? What's it look like? Well, the first place you find this assurance is in God's promises. And this is in verses 1 and 2, God's promises. And what we find out here, the wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. This is a real reversal that happens. And this is a feature both of Isaiah and the gospel message that you have this reversal. The way up is the way down in humility. The proud are humbled. The strong are only strong because of their acknowledgement of their weakness. This sort of upside-down world that the gospel gives us is one of the features of the power of God. Now, the wilderness, and by the way, remember the women's retreat, October 20th through 21st, you'll explore this theme further, but the wilderness, this is a little challenging for us because we like wilderness, don't we? We like natural areas, but that wasn't the case then. The wilderness was really symbolic of the wild, chaotic, unknown places where you didn't have resources. And the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. And the crocus is a desert flower. And this is sort of familiar area for us in the hill country. The crocus, a beautiful white flower that would flower when you get spring rains or late winter rains in there in the Middle East and in Israel. And so, not unlike how we might get a rain come through, oof, we need rain, and you get some, everything flowers, all the weeds start growing, but the crocus is beautiful. And what God's declaring through His promises is, look, this is, this is the outcome. And in the midst of the challenges that you face in your life, you're going to beautifully blossom. You're going to 
flourish and thrive. Look at verse 2. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it. The majesty of Carmel and Sharon, sort of a complex there, brief phrase. Lebanon's fertility, Carmel and Sharon, majestic mountains. And what's going to happen? They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. And so this is a promise that God's making at the outset of this passage. Knowing that the Assyrian Empire is rising, threatening his people, God promises they shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. And of course, the glory of God, think about the, the reverence that we have for God, the sheer weight of who God is and his very character uh, displayed in the greatness of who God is. And God's glory is more important. The display of God's glory is more important than whatever happens to us in this life. And that's one of the challenges, isn't it? It's one of the challenges because sometimes we think life's about us, or we think, well, I know the world doesn't re revolve around me, but it kind of does. And this is the reminder that no, it's about the glory of God, that even my discomfort, even my suffering is not as important as God getting the glory. Now, this is not because God is somehow self-centered. It's because he's actually that great. It's because he's that great that he deserves all the glory. The majesty of our God, the majesty, think just standing back, observing how God is working, and being in awe of all that he has done. Our lives are about the glory of God, not about the outcomes that I want. And the glory of God is about God getting what he wants, not necessarily about me getting what I want. And so at the outset here, in these unknown times, you get God's promise. This is what's going to happen. He is going to be glorified from the global events that are about to take place. And you might notice we enter into a narrative portion of Isaiah, which is rare for Isaiah in chapter 36. And there is an aside there, an account of the Assyrian invasion. But God promises ahead of time in order to help foster and bolster the faith of his people that this is the outcome he will bring about and his people. Not only will God get the glory, but his people will flourish and thrive, blossom like a crocus, blossom like a flower in a desert. In an unlikely place, God's people can thrive and flourish uh, in this difficult circumstance, even singing with joy and seeing the beauty of what God has done. So that's God's promises. Right at the beginning, verses 1 and 2, you get this announcement that God has this, here's where it's going, and faith, it's not really a leap of faith, is it? 
It's not really a leap of faith if God promises already what's necessary and what's going to happen. So we're talking about guarantees and assurances. And we have God's promises right there in verses 1 and 2. And then we move on really to God's strength and salvation in verses 3 through 7. In verses 3 through 7, what we need, okay, this is what God's promised. So what do we need? Well, we need strength to believe that. We need strength to trust in Him. And so in verse 3, we read, Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Now, you don't have to say, Strengthen the weak hands unless the hands are weak, right? And so people struggle to believe God really is as good as He is and His promises are really that great. And so there's a call here that God would strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, isn't that us? Don't we at times have an anxious heart when we're facing the unknown? If we, together as a society and country, were facing the invasion from a superior uh, firepower, superior uh, country, we would be fearful, we would be anxious. And that's what's happening here with Israel. And so God speaks to that with his strength. He speaks to it, calling to them, acknowledging they have an anxious heart. And he says, be strong, fear not. Now notice this, sometimes we do that, right? Someone's worried about something, they, they may tell you, oh, I'm worried about the, you know, this thing happening. And what's the first words out of our mouth? Yeah, don't worry. We, we deny it. But instead, you see something different happening here. Instead of God just flat out saying, don't be anxious, He calls them to be strong and to fear not. Then we get the reasons why they can be strong and fear not. Can they be strong and fear not just because well, they're really capable people who are super organized and they're going to do it and they're inventive and they got this? No. What is the strength and the lack of fear, the courage based on? Verse 4, behold your God. When you and I are looking to God, when we intently are focusing on Him, it's then that we have the strong hands, the strong knees, and our heart isn't anxious. We can be strong and we can fear not. This is not grounded in abstraction, in other words, or just we're going to do this. We're going to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and be strong. Notice it is looking to God, behold your God, and what about God? What is the feature about his character and his providential activity that makes him able to calm our anxious heart? This is different. Look in verse 4. Your God will come with vengeance. And sometimes we think, mm, vengeance. No, I have sort of a wet napkin kind of evangelical Christianity. Well, the wet napkin evangelical Christianity where God is... He's a nice God. That doesn't help us. 
It doesn't help you when you have a superior force coming for you. You need a God who's coming with vengeance. And the assurance here is, is not only God's coming with a vengeance, but he's coming with recompense. Now, recompense, we don't often use that word. What it means is God is bringing both the penalty, the punishment, and the reward. And so the confidence that we have, that we don't need to have an anxious heart, comes because we have a capable God who will judge rightly, applying his perfect standard of justice, and he will also reward the faithful. He will reward his followers. Now, that gives us tremendous confidence because we know in this world, God's going to make right every wrong. He can do it. He will wipe away every tear. All the unfairness and injustice that we have dealt with in this life will be made right when Jesus comes again. Now, do you see how we can be strong and fear not because we have a God who perfectly applies the standard of his justice and then he's going to reward. He'll punish the evildoer, recompense, and recompense, he'll reward the faithful, both together. So we have tremendous confidence in, in our God, his very character, his activity of strengthening and saving. And then look at the end of verse 4. He will come and what? Save you. He's not, he's not going to leave anyone behind. He will save you. He will save you. And then notice we get a prophetic utterance about Jesus' ministry here in verses 5 and 6. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. Where, else, where, where does this happen? We get our New Testament eyes on, and we look back into this. What They didn't know how this was going to happen. We on the other side of the cross know this is a prophetic reference to Jesus' ministry. And it's how this is going to happen, how God comes with vengeance applied to Christ instead of sinners, how he comes with recompense, reward for his followers except through Christ. And what is it like? Look at the end of verse 6. For waters break forth in the wilderness, streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool, thirsty ground, springs of water. And the haunt of jackals, think a remote place where you got a bunch of jackals running around. It's going to become a fertile area. Reeds and rushes will be there because there'll be an abundance of, of water. And what's pictured here, I don't know if you've walked outside lately, but you can just walk outside out of the reach of any sprinkler. And what has the ground around here done? It's, it's opened up. It said, I'm ready for a drink, and it's cracked. We have a, a plant, house plant, uh, that was given to us, and it's a great indoor plant because whenever it's, because I'm not much for the whole, you know, growing things and other things, I don't have that gift like maybe you do, and the great thing about this plant is when it's thirsty, it's a peace lily. It, it, I know when it, oh, okay, I got to give it a drink because 
the stalks lay down and the leaves look sort of wrinkly. And I know, oh, that needs a drink. Even I have been able to keep it alive. And the question for you is really, how's your soul? When we look at who God is there in verse 4, in this command to be strong and fear not being based on his character, how is it with your soul in terms of has the desert become a fruitful place? Are you flourishing? Where do you get this water, the streams in the desert? Notice it's still the desert, but there's streams flowing through it. How is it with your soul? Are, is the streams of God's truth and the work of the Spirit flowing through you? Are you wet spiritually today? Are you going from strength to strength? Or are you dry spiritually? Part of the challenge is really to identify how is it with our soul no one asked ever, how is it with your soul? How are you doing? Are you encouraged? Are you worried? Are you anxious? Are you dry spiritually? Have you ever primed a pump? You know how to prime a pump. What do you got to do? You got to get water and you pour it down into the pump. And then that, that's enough to sort of kick start it and you get the, get the pump going. And you know where we do that as Christians, if you are dry spiritually, mm, you're in the right place. Because what happens here in this community, in the church, and this doesn't happen in Bible studies, it happens in corporate public worship. It's something unique about corporate public worship in the experience of being together as a community. What happens is Someone else in this community can help prime your pump, can, can pour some water on you. As you hear other people singing, seeing other people, and engaging, the pump of your spiritual life is primed. It's, it's restarted. You know, I have a lawnmower, kind of an old lawnmower, kind of gives me trouble, the, the, the old... Uh, carburetor on it is kind of gummy and so what I was doing yesterday when I was mowing I had a or two days ago I had a can of starter fluid and so I'd mow and then it would quit on me I'd go get the starter fluid a little spray into the carburetor get it going again it quit I just had the can with me that's how I was mowing my lawn go around spray a little more in there get it going again and we need that in our life, don't we? And it's more than just personal Bible study. It is coming together to feast on God's Word, to feast here at the table, to be in community. How is it with your soul? If you are dry spiritually, you are in the right place. If you're a little cranky, you're in the right place that the refreshment would come from the connection in community with each other and with God through worship. So God's strength and salvation comes to us in part through this expression of worship that we're enjoying here today as we feast on the wonder of who He is and His promises. 
and we can be strong and fear not. And you might feel pretty weak today, and you might be very fearful today, but you're in the right place for some water to be poured, some inspiration, spiritual truth to come to you that might help you to blossom like a crocus. So, so far what we've seen is God's guarantee, His assurance. It comes through His promises, His strength and salvation, and finally it comes through this ransom that is given in verses 8 through 10. And we read here in verse 8, and a highway shall be there. And everybody said, Bernie, Texas, gone forever, right? The problem with this passage is we see the wilderness as good, but the text there in verse 1 sees the wilderness as bad. And then highways, we don't like highways, but highways were good things then because it allowed you to get where you're going. And so a highway shall be there. It shall be called the way of holiness. And this is the highway for God's people coming back in exile and being able to transit and come back to the promised land where they were. It's a physical representation of a spiritual reality that God makes a way for us. God makes a way for us to come back to Him, to come back to Him in repentance, to come back to Him in dedication and obedience. And so the highway is going to be there. It's called the way of holiness, so it belongs to God and it belongs to His people. And notice here, the unclean shall not pass over it. So there's a, a division there. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. And then here's some assurance for us. Even if they're fools, they won't go astray. In other words, this, this way shall be so clear that even though they're fools, they'll still be able to be on this way. And of course, it points to Jesus saying in John 14, 6, what does Jesus say? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is part of the fulfillment of this highway for how we come to the Father. And what we read, this is a good highway. Verse 9, no lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come up on it. You never knew when you were traveling in the ancient world what you were going to face, whether it would be robbers or wild animals, but God's going to protect his people on this way. They shall not be found there, and at the end of verse 9, but the redeemed shall walk there. Now, using that language, using that word redeemed, what it does is it calls into mind the exodus, and the exodus is really seen as the high point and the climax of the Old Testament deliverance of God's people. And so they are redeemed, which means they are bought back. And God purchases his people, takes them for uh, his own, and then puts them on a highway in the wilderness to the promised land. And so this recalls God's faithfulness to his people during the wilderness wanderings after Israel was delivered from Egypt, this recalls that God will deliver his people again, this time from Babylon, and they will return and God will be faithful to them. 
And we read in verse 10, The ransomed of the Lord shall return, there's your guarantee, there's your assurance, and come to Zion with singing, everlasting joy shall be upon their heads, they shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Sighing there, groaning, any kind of complaining or disappointment shall flee away. God is able to deal with those things. And you notice here, verse 10, he calls his people the ransomed of the Lord. And that means they were purchased, that they were bought. And we all have probably seen too many TV shows and too many uh, movies, but you know what happens with ransom. You know, somebody's kidnapped and they demand a ransom and the ransom is paid to free the captive. And sometimes we think incorrectly when we see the word ransomed and think for a moment, because Jesus says in Mark 10, 45, he said, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus pays the ransom. Only some of us might mistakenly think that the ransom gets paid to the devil. That the devil has, in point of fact, kidnapped us, and God pays the devil the ransom, Jesus Christ. And this was popularized by a, a medieval theologian, Anselm. Uh, it's called the ransom theory of the atonement. And as good as it sounds, it's totally incorrect. Why is that? Because the devil doesn't have enough power to take us captive. God doesn't pay the devil anything. It is not a fair fight between God and the devil. No, instead, the penalty, the ransom that is due to God for sin, it is paid by God himself through Jesus the Son. We could say, and this is true, that God saves us, ransoms us from himself. Because the wrath of God, because of his holiness, is due to us for sin. And so the ransom paid by Christ is actually paid to God, the Father. He loves us that much. He has mercy on us and gives us his grace. And so God restores, predicts restoring the exiles then as a sign of his guarantee, his character, his assurance, his love, his provision for his people, that they might not be anxious or fearful as they encounter this difficult time. So God restores exiles as a national sign of how he is a friend to sinners today. He is steadfast in his love always true to his promises, he guarantees it, and he gives us the true assurance that we need. And it's because of all that. All to him we owe, and we will indeed, no matter the circumstances, if our life is found in Christ, we will flourish. We will blossom like a crocus. Let's pray together. God, how we thank you for the assurances that we need that you give us here in your word. And we thank you for the blessed assurance that we have in Christ. He who paid the ransom to you, 
do to you on our behalf for our sin. We thank you for your grace. May that everlasting joy be upon our heads. May we as your people obtain gladness and joy and see sorrow and sighing. Flee away, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.